Hey, it's Jeff here. After working as an automotive tech for almost 25 years, I can honestly say that finding employment with the right shop has been the difference maker between loving what I do every day or hating my career choice. Let me tell you, I've been there, but I've also had jobs where work didn't really feel like work. I love the challenge of fixing cars. So loving what I do, that's the easy part. Finding a good place to do it in, now that's been the struggle. And that's where my friends at ProMotive knock it out of the park. They're a recruitment company specializing in jobs for our automotive industry. A-techs, B-techs, master techs, service advisors, managers, you name it. They are constantly looking for applicants in automotive to link them with available job postings at only the best vested shops around the country. ProMotive has a team of professional recruiters that can help you with your resume, prep you for the interview process, and negotiate the best pay and benefits package for you. And best of all, it's free to anyone looking to gain employment. Check them out at gopromotive.com slash Jeff. gopromotive.com slash Jeff. Just think, you could be just five minutes away from finding your dream job. Let's do a cam and lifters on a Hemi, and I'm filling the thing up with coolant, and it's going in quick, you know? It's just draining down. I'm like, oh, no. What happened? <laughs> Pouring out of the corner of the head gasket. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another exciting, thought-provoking episode of the Jaded Mechanic Podcast. My name's Jeff, and I'd like to thank you for joining me on this journey of reflection and insight into the toils and triumphs of a career in automotive repair. After more than 20 years of skin knuckles and tool debt, I want to share my perspectives and hear other people's thoughts about our industry. So pour yourself a strong coffee or grab a cold Canadian beer and get ready for some great conversation. Good evening and welcome back to another episode of the Jada Mechanic Podcast. With me tonight is uh, Jesse Sammons. Jesse, say hello to everybody. Hello and thank you very much, uh, Jeff, for having me on. I really appreciate it and uh, I'll be honest, I am a bit nervous. <laughs> Just excuse me don't don't be nervous don't be nervous at all oh i know i i know how this goes I, but it's just a, it's just a, a matter of fact i listen i've listened to you you on other podcasts before and then you've got your own i listen to some of the guests and the people you talk to and these are all people that i look up to yeah. and aspire to be like and it's like what the heck am i i don't belong here you know <laughs> i don't feel like i belong here yeah, that's that uh, that's how i feel right i'm just kind of like sure you know I, i'm playing that whole tactic of just surround yourself with smarter people and people who think you're smart right like it's it's, yeah. it's how i've done my whole career it's worked well <laughs> uh there's a name for it and of course i'm forgetting now but it's like oh imposter syndrome that's right you know so tell us a little bit you're in so what part of california are you in so I am in Ramona, California, uh, that's Southern California, uh, about 45 minutes to an hour from downtown San Diego and the border. We're a bit east and a little bit north from there up in the mountains. Uh-huh. So that's honestly, for me at least, that has been uh, really beneficial for me to be to have the opportunity to start a shop here, um, which not that this whole podcast is about my shop or anything in specific, but uh that is what I am now as a shop owner. And uh, yeah, California is a bit, a little bit uh, crazy and very expensive, but being in the area I'm at, um, the good thing is there is a lot of city all around. We're mm-hmm. away from that 
but everybody that lives here, almost everybody that lives here commutes for work. So, right. you know, that made things a little bit easier for me. There's a lot of, sh it's a small town, but there's a lot of shops here. And uh, like I said, that's just opportunity for work, you know, just do a good job and be honest with people and you create opportunity for yourself, you know? Are you born and raised in California or are you a transplant? Yeah. No, yeah. I've lived in this town my whole life. Oh, so. sweet. And the shop's name's Thoroughbred Motors? Yes, sir. Yeah. Now, what's, uh, why that name? That's kind of interesting. Name. Yeah. Well, there's a few different reasons I picked that name. Uh, the f well, I had a few ideas in mind before I came, uh, you know, before I finally came up with that and decided on it. But the truth, one of the things is, is almost every name you can think of is taken, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I don't got to be like so new, unique that it's the only one in the country. But like, if I am coming up with this name or that name, and there's at least a shop or two within that same name within 30, 40, 50 miles, like, you know, I didn't want that. Yeah. So I kind of, I, I kind of slowly worked through some of the ideas I had and decided against them. And then I picked the name Thoroughbred Motors because uh, a few different things. First off, uh, Ramona is actually a horse town. There's a lot of people still here that have horses. I grew up uh, across the highway from a horse ranch. And mm. um, that's definitely part of the culture here. Uh, secondly, on top of that, I hope that the name Thoroughbred implies a sense of quality, a sense yeah. of it has the name, the word thorough in it as well. Yep. Um, trying to do thorough work and thorough repairs and thorough diagnostics. And um, yeah, I mean, that, at the end of the day, the between hopefully implying that it being a horse town and also the fact that I couldn't find anything else with that name within several hundred miles made it seem to work for me. So um, that's right. what we went with. Nice. And how long have you been in business, this business? You know, the My business or just in automotive repair in general? <laughs> business uh i opened in november of 2020 so it's been about two and a half years yeah i wanted to say i i, I think you're a little you're newer one of the newer players yeah. in in a right in terms of because that's where i know you from is i've seen your name around and that's kind of how we kind of got this this idea rolling but how has it been the first two years a well, struggle or let's put it this way i not a struggle on having work come through the door i've been very blessed I mm -hmm. seem to consistently, since the day I opened, I have not had no work to do, <laughs> like, or no jobs show up. Like, I have not had a single day since the day I opened where there was no cars there. But no, it's definitely still a struggle and a lot of learning experience because it's all happened very quickly, you know? Um, right. Uh, starting the shop and starting being a business owner, I had no real idea what industry norms were, what I should be charging for this or that. I lacked a lot of experience with how to properly handle customers and mm -hmm. just being a business owner. You know, it's like, there's a lot to learn and, and uh, a lot of ways it's kind of been a sprint from the start. So I wouldn't say it's been a complete struggle. I've been very blessed, but it's definitely been a lot of work and a lot of stress and, you know, and I'm not out of the woods yet. You've got a long way to go. <laughs> How big is the operation? So uh, when I started in November of 2020, it was just me by myself. Um, I operated alone for the first almost about almost exactly a year. Wow. I got somebody that started uh, my, my lead tech or shop foreman that I have now actually about three or four months before I hired my first employee. Um, he start, I met him and he started coming and doing side work with me. So he'd come after he was working at the dealership at the time. Uh, he was coming after hours. We'd work together till 10, 11 at night. And, and then I hired my first employee that slowed down a bit. 
took kind of a few months and things continued growing and then I needed help again. So then he came back and was doing side work with me again. So yeah, basically I hired my first employee about a year after about, uh, well, let me think about three or four months after that, I felt ready to hire somebody else again. I wanted to hire the guy that I have now as the shop foreman, uh, but he was not ready to leave the dealer yet. Not ready to take that risk. And which I totally understand. It's like, I'm some small, no name guy in a tiny shop in a, in Ramona, like in a small town, you know, small town, which he, he lives in too, but that's a big leap for somebody to make when they feel comfortable where they've been a long time at a much bigger place. So anyway, so I tried to hire him. He wasn't ready yet and kept looking. I hired a second tech in uh, beginning of July that next year. And then about a month and a half or two after that, we were still always pretty swamped with work. And I uh, had the opportunity at a bigger shop became available or a bigger, it wasn't a shop before, um, but basically a bigger style warehouse style building became available. And then from that moment, I kind of tried to weave through what the options were, whatever difficulties we we're going to face with getting set up at that location and moving. And once the decision was made to that, we were going to move there. Then I told, um, I told the third guy that I hired, I was like, all right, dude, like I, we're doing this. So I need you now. So you need to put your notice in like you got a month, but after like we're in this whole next month, we're going to get whatever work we can done here, get moved over there get set up and get rolling. And so that all happened. And we got rolling at the new shop in September. What? Yeah. September. And then what? And then around February, March, we ended up hiring an apprentice. That was for two things. First off to hire somebody that we can teach and train, but also in that in that role, he can help out with you know chores around the shop and organizing things. There's all kinds of small little stuff that needs to get done, and we were just having trouble trying to keep up with everything. Yeah. And then after that, I hired a customer service representative about a month and a half to two months ago, and she's been uh, extremely helpful, and that leads me where I am now. So so yeah, we got me plus five employees now. It's crazy, man. <laughs> Yeah, so, so you've got two sense. other techs. <clears throat> you've got two other techs plus yourself, uh, plus the apprentice, and then you, uh, you could call her a service writer. Uh, service. Yeah. So actually, no, three yes. techs. So I have two techs and the the one that's a shop foreman who's a tech too. And then right, right mm-hmm. when I hired him is when I had to make the decision that I had to pull myself away and I had to stop wrenching. Oh, that's that was going to be Basically. my next question. So you're you're yeah. you're not you're not working just totally on the business, not working in the business. Like yeah. you're not so I, you're handling the, yeah, the, the manager side of it. That's good. That's good. Yeah. So, well, you know, I basically, my full-time job right now is the service advisor role. Cause I hired the, I, I hired the customer service representative. She's great. She's awesome with people. She's good at answering the phone. She's helpful with scheduling. I can go over other things that she helps with, but there's so many things within running a business that don't have anything to do with cars. They need to yeah. get done, you know, a lot of overhead stuff. And she's been awesome to help with a lot of that. But I, in turn, I'm the one basically just acting as the service advisor for the three guys out in the shop plus the apprentice. So, um, yeah, around last fall, I kind of had to make the decision that I, I, I'm not able to be out there wrenching on cars anymore. If it's small little things here and there that I can help get in and out real quick, then maybe I will. Um, and I still do yep. go out in the shop a lot to try and help with uh, uh, just providing direction a bit of training and explanation on things, uh, how I want things done or whatever, and and helping with diag and testing. I'm doing the best I can to try and continue teaching them diag and testing stuff. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, I just realized that it was too many things going on at once. And I was getting a lot worse as a technician because I couldn't focus on it. I, it's yeah. like, I, the la- one of, <laughs> you'll laugh. One of the last ones I did that, that I was like, all right, dude, I'm done. I can't, I can't keep doing it anymore. Was uh, I was doing the cams and lifters on a Hemi. And uh, I remember exactly what happened. Um, I'll say what happened for, first and then go back to the memory part of it. Uh, anyway, I was doing cams, uh, cam and lifters on a Hemi. I get the whole job all done and I fill the thing up with coolant and it's, it's going in quick. No bubbles coming back out. You know, it's just draining down. I'm like, Oh no, what happened? And sure enough, it's pouring out of the corner of the head gasket. And at that moment I'm like, yeah, I put the head gasket in upside down. And I knew what happened was I had a, uh, like a top side creeper that I was working off of. And, um, I had, I had got, everything was cleaned and ready and the head was ready to go on. And I was setting the gasket on. And then I was going to set that. What happened? I was going to set the head on. And then so the phone started ringing and, yep. um, personally, I, you know, some people will just let the phone ring and then call back or they'll just do whatever. I've never been like that. I've, I've tried so hard to be as responsive to customers as possible and take as good a care of them as possible, which is part of the reason that we've continued to have so much work and grown so quickly. But in any case, uh, what happened was, yeah, at some point I got the phone started ringing I'm like, all right, let me get the headset down. I go in to get the headset down and the gasket shifts. And I'm like, gosh, darn it. So I like, I pull the head back up. I answer the phone and I come back. And amongst the whatever happened, when I took the head gasket back off, wiped it down and went to set it down, I flipped it. And, you know, so I had to go back and redo it. And it wasn't a big deal, um, but that was a sign to me. And that wasn't the only time something like that had happened where I just yes. made a completely stupid mistake like that. And I realized that, you know, I can't be, I can't be good as a technician and try and be good as a service advisor and be good as a business owner. Like I, it's, I got to trim it down and try and focus on um, where I'm most beneficial, you know, well, which I wanna, hats off to you, man, because like some people, and this is not me throwing shade at anybody. Some people can do it and some people can't. But we, we see it in the groups all the time, right? How some people do it their whole career and struggle with that and never let go of the reins per se, right? And that's that's not a play on words being the, the name of the shop or anything. But you know what I mean? Like it's <laughs> they, they never relinquish that control, right? And then and then mistakes like that always happen. And, it, you know, thank God it's it's – I mean, that's – still a, a few hours work to go back in and fix but i mean it's you know it could have went a whole lot worse right like it could be you forget to put fluid in a in a component right oh, yeah. that drives out kind of stuff like so i mean I, I think that's commendable man and i think that that's that shows some real resolve on your to be in the business and this quickly going okay where i'm most effective is if i put my tools down and i go and handle the you know the operation side of it not wrenching because I know exactly what it's like, man. You're you're in the middle of something, and then like I don't have to go and answer the phone all the time in my shop, but occasionally I do. And you know, when you're mentoring other people, and you know, you're in that kind of leadership role, somebody can come up and just ask you what's a real simple question, or or a you know, you go and spend ten minutes trying to walk them through a wiring diagram or something. When you come back, that's when mistakes happen, right? That's when we break mm-hmm. our flow. So I mean, you know, everybody, I think always. Whenever they take that next step into 
more demands on them, they get their reality check comes in a little bit, right? And you get knocked down a peg or two. And it's, it's, it happens to the best of us. It doesn't matter who it is. Nobody's perfect. You know, it's the whole thing is being able to take it as a learning moment and go, okay, good. This is something that I need to really, for the best of, you know, the business step away from. And it's tough, I'm sure. Cause I mean, it's like, you know, I know so many, and I, I know techs, that own the shop that still want to work in the shop and refuse to let it go. And it's, and I think it can be done, but I just think it's like who you put in those roles, you know, you almost need a secondary, like then you're not the foreman. You're just another tech, maybe handling the nightmare cars, the problem stuff. And yeah. your foreman takes over that role where you would get pulled away. You're able to send him or her in and go okay walk me through this right because you're trying to get that done right like it's it's tough man yeah. it's tough you know no, but I, it's uh was, sorry the lag's tripping me up <laughs> sorry about that. We're, we're a long way apart i'm up here uh it's it's one of those things where i think it's just like you, everybody thinks we're really really competent right and then we all of a sudden when you've got all their tasks to do like you know, we all talk about, oh, I, I could turn this many hours routinely, right? And then we get into, well, it's harder to get those jobs done when I got to answer the phone and order the parts and the parts are wrong. And, you know, I get into a little bit of that at my shop and it's like, thank God they're not really looking at me going, okay, I need you to get, you know, produce this many hours. They just say to me, you know, I need these cars looked at today. They don't say I need this many hours produced. And it, that just helps with my mental game, right? But before, were you... Before you got into the business of your own, give us your background. What was like you talked about? You had some friends that you, or I should say, guys that you hired from the dealer. Were you at a dealer before jumping into this? Uh, no, but uh, I can I'd gladly share that story real quick. Um, well, well, guess do you, do you want to be real quick, or <laughs> do you want the actual story? <laughs> so I don't. Let me respond real quick to what you just said and i can gladly tell that realistically uh for, to what you were just saying a second ago yes it is actually very difficult to let go like that and it is a struggle to to step away and realize like especially when i'm the one that deals with the customers directly and my name's on the building and i care a lot i care too much i lose sleep all the time over it and when mistakes happen it's awful but it's like and it sucks to know it's like I got to trust somebody else to get the work done and get it out. And, you know, I do the best I can to not pressure and not stress out the guys and let them focus on, you know, getting the work done correctly. So I, you know, there's got to be a happy medium as far as hours turned and quality of work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, you can't be taking 24 hours on an eight, you know, eight billable hour job. That's outrageous, but I'm not trying to get them to get it done in six hours. I'm fine mm -hmm. if they get that eight jo hour job done in 10 or 11 hours. If everything's done perfect and we don't have any problems and that customer's happy, I'm okay with that, you know? Yeah. But yeah, that's been definitely a struggle to try and learn how to balance that and figure all that out. Um, as far as, and I'll get to why, you know, that's always been a priority for me to run the shop that way. And I can get a lot to why that is when I tell how I started and where, where this all came from. So, um, I'm currently 31 years old. So how old was I when I started in this business? So when I was younger, I used to do, um, growing up, I did a lot of construction work. Um, so I was 
just okay. I guess just cultural culturally speaking, like working in the trades is a lot different than you know white collar work. Um, I grew up doing a lot of construction, handyman style jobs, whatever else. My dad's a contractor. Okay. And uh, let me think. And then I always was good with computers. I always liked problem solving and puzzles and stuff like that. And all growing up, everybody's telling me like, oh, you need to go into, you know, IT work and working on computers and networks and whatever else, you know. And I'm like, I kind of just listened to them because I could see that there's money there. Like I used to do like side work, like going around to people's houses, doing minor computer repair and and fixing issues for them because at least at the time 15 close to 15 years ago that was a lot more typical now everybody's got ipads and their phones you know it's a lot different but back then people did have problems with their viruses on their laptop or they they lost information or whatever there's a lot of stuff you could do back then so i did that for a while and uh i shuffled through a lot of different jobs over time but i did end up going to school for a little bit and i did go work out in the the world of it for a while Mm mm-hmm and then I ended up, what ended up happening when I was, what, I was about 24 or so, I got hired working for an ambulance company. And oh. uh, I initially got hired to work for them doing IT work. Um, they had a contract um, in a county north of me where they're supposed to take over the whole 911 contract for the whole area. So they hired me. I'm going there. I'm setting up. I'm doing all the stuff they need me to do. And then that contract fell through. And suddenly they weren't really sure what was going to happen with my position or whatever. And um, one of the owners, and by the way, this was about two hours north of me. So I was going up there. I was staying up there for the week, coming back home on weekends. It sucked, honestly. It was terrible. I hated it. Uh, LA traffic was miserable. But in any case, so one of the owners of that company also owned a smaller ambulance company down here in San Diego that serviced almost all of the rural areas. And uh, through a weird opportunity, form of events, basically, he's like, hey, um, you know, I know that you like working on cars as a hobby, because um, I did. Mm-hmm. And I know you know how to do, you know, do this and that and basic stuff. Uh, but we're, I'm getting a contract down in San Diego in the rural areas. And what would you think about handling all of the IT stuff at all the different stations for them and whatnot? And then doing all the basic maintenance and service on the ambulances. And then anything that you feel is over your head or you need help with or whatever, then you can bring them up to LA to the main uh, shop at the sister company up there. And you can work with the technicians up there um, to get it done, you know? Mm -hmm. And so at the time to me, I was like, you know, like, he was going to pay me the same that we had agreed on. And I had benefits of that job too. So I'm like, you know what, like going back home and uh, having the opportunity to do kind of both or whatever, that sounds kind of cool. I'm down with that. And yeah, basically what happened over a bit of time though was, sorry, I'm trying to look, trying to look back and remember, uh, remember all of it. But when, when he sent me down here, like this was a perfect example of somebody that gave me a lot of opportunity and gave me more than enough, you know, rope to hang myself with if I <laughs> if I was gonna make mistakes or mess something up. He he let me pick out and set up the shop, basically. Like it was crazy. I so I got to set up the shop here in my own town, like less than ten minutes from my house, and it actually worked perfect because where I am in this smaller town is uh, central to all the surrounding rural areas. So it was kind of right in the middle almost of all the service area they had. So it actually worked out great. But um, 
I also made it my goal as far as the ambulances went. I made it my goal to like, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to fix them. I'm going to do everything I can never to have to take them up there if I don't absolutely have to, you know? Right. Yeah. Get that pride. Yeah. Yeah. And I had enough electrical experience with minor stuff because I growing up, uh, I always loved cars. So as you know, it was a hobby for me Mm -hmm. and I had enough basic electrical experience. I was able to handle some other things for them as well. Like anytime we got new ambulances, they had to be set up with, somebody had to set up the radios and antennas and all the wiring and everything for them. And they didn't have anybody in San Diego that was willing or could do it. And I was like, well, I can do it. It's no problem. Um, So I would started, you know, of course I told them, oh yeah, I can do it. The first, first one took me like 12 hours to get, (laughs) to get the antennas in, get the wires run, get both of the radios and mics all working and everything. But I ended up being able to handle that kind of stuff for them. And I did pretty, you know, pretty decently well there for somebody that didn't really have any formal training. The only training I, I got was I worked with the guys up in LA at their shop for about um, two to three months before I came down here and started doing it on my own here. And they were all Econo lines. They're all the E350s. <clears throat> yep. So most of them were all V10s, which were not a big deal really. But I did end up having to cave in and go get some help a couple times because a few of them were six liters. And I yeah. had nothing. I didn't know anything about diesels. So I hit a limit a few times. I had to get like get a toad up there and have them show me this and that, figure them out. Man, I, I hated six liters and I hated diesels so much when I worked for that company and when I left. But in any case, so that was how I actually wound up in this industry. It was kind of by accident. Yeah, I have a, I have a bit of background on ambulances too. I, a couple of jobs ago... Going back five or six years, I worked at a shop and we had a fleet of them and that we, and there were no, they had one Econo line left with a six liter <clears throat> and the rest had all been retired and they'd replaced them with uh, Chevy 3500 Expresses with um, six liters in them. And they were substantially less problematic than the six liters were like the six liters, especially in oh, an yeah. ambulance, right? Like you can't, they, they just, an ambulance never shuts off at idles. 24 seven. Right. And no diesel likes that. I don't care, you know what they say. Well, the modern ones don't let me rephrase. And, um, so it was just, it was the, one of the most problematic things that they could ever get. And then being a Mm -hmm. six liter though, then we know how they're, you know, not the best built at the time. It it was, it was problematic. So, I mean, they were happy to get rid of them, but yeah, I, I got to know the, the, (laughs) <laughs> the ambulance work a little bit and I'm like, these things are just kind of thrown together. Some of it, right? Like, I mean, you expect oh, that. It's man, gonna- you get up into the boxes and it's kind of like, who, yeah, who, who approved this? This, I know this ambulance costs like 400 grand or so, you know, who, and all this custom work back here, it's all chintzy, but whatever. The worst was, was- I never had, I don't think when I worked there, I ever got actual wiring diagrams for any of this stuff up there. So I was just shooting in the dark. When there was mm-hmm. and any sort of circuitry issues between their whole fuse box setup they had and any of the exterior lights or the sirens or whatever else, it was at times difficult. And back then, electrical was not my strong suit at all. So it was uh, very hard to figure out. Something. I was very lucky. At least we had wasn't uh, under a gun. Yeah, we had a, I was very lucky. We had the bodybuilder, the company's called Crestline. I could get on the phone with them at any particular time. And they always like when you would go to what we would call the back compartment and open up the service door, everything was already on a map right there showing you 
you know, because they didn't, the guy that came up with it, he built a, essentially a computer that would interface with everything that was going on inside the Chevrolet land. And then it would all wire through this thing. And it was literally just, it would light up an LED to show you that it was either, you know, active or not. It was fantastic. Interesting. And a whole map, yeah, drawn right on the thing. So <clears throat> there wasn't a whole lot of fuses and everything. It was all kind of high side driver and it, it worked phenomenal. But I mean, if you did have a glitch, we were very, I could get on the phone and talk to one of them and they were two hours away from me. <laughs> and if you, if they're like, no big deal, we're very lucky up here. We have normally they have, uh, I don't know, 40 of them in the fleet, I guess. And, uh, several spares so i mean it was never a situation of as long as you know you weren't having like four of them in the shop you could have three in the shop waiting on different for parts and whatnot and it wasn't a big deal like nobody was gonna die um so it was pretty good you could get a hold of them and say hey you know i got one doing this a lot of it they would want to fix oh okay so what we found out is that when we run the lighting through this module uh we run the two circuit side by side in the module it tends to overheat the board and the board will break down so what we want you to do is you know reconfigure the whole they'd send you a whole program you'd flash it into the thing and it would just move some wires around and bang you were done and it was Dang. like wow that guy thought of that right like it's pretty cool and then other ways we could do it is like for instance i can remember that one of the first ones i had we were all running incandescent bulbs in it the, the very next year that that same body got built, it all had LEDs in it. Substantially more money in lights, but way less draw on the module. So the module had no more issues with, you know, shorting out when it got hot. So I can remember it's like, we've got this one. They want to replace the pro or rewrite the program. You'd have to change the wiring harness connectors, rewrite the map and everything. And I'm like, well, why don't we just switch all the lights to LED just like they did, you know, in the 2018 model. And they're like, well, yeah, you could do that too. Well, let's do that. Then we don't have to change anything. Let's <laughs> so nice. it was, it was, that was cool to work on that kind of stuff for me because I was like, you see a different way of, of how they troubleshoot and how they engineer something, right? Like it's, sure. it's, I've seen some, and then I've like, we had to be very careful because people would buy older ambulances and use them for other things. Right. And people are mm-hmm. like, Oh, you work on ambulances. Not really, because some of the ones you'd see brought in a completely yeah, different body maker. Com- stuff. Oh, yeah. And it'd be like, you didn't even want to touch it. You know, guys would no, guys yeah. would use them as service trucks. It was just, it was terrible. Like the, the mm. wiring was, how does it not catch on fire after it's a few years old? But it was yeah. cool. I had a lot of fun. You learned a lot of, you know, you learned a lot of neat things. And you kind of felt really proud about working on them because it's, it's like working, I think, on a fire truck or a police car or something like that. It's stuff that's saving people's lives, right? Like it's one thing to work on somebody's, you know, daily driver, but something that is responsible for saving a life that you take pride yeah. in that. I was, I was proud to do it. So, no, yeah, you're correct. So that it did, and it did uh, provide that. I definitely took pride in that, and that was a really cool part of the experience. And to be honest, it helped me too because. I did not have, like I said, before that, I had no professional experience as a tech or as a mechanic. So that definitely helped me being as young as I was to take it more seriously because, you know, I, I'm still, I don't know, I'm still not old yet, I guess, but (laughs) uh, people still tell me I'm very young, but even then it's like, I was in my early twenties and um, that was a lot of responsibility for somebody in their early twenties, which is why I very much credit and i'm very grateful to the guy that gave me the opportunity for that the owner of that company mm-hmm. Uh-oh. 
<laughs> and you so kick her outside. In some ways, you kind of got to skirt the whole issues of what some of us pick up as bad habits working in a shop, for instance, right? Like you, you kind of. I was going to talk. You talked about you got a couple guys that like in your shop now that come from the dealer, right? And we've seen those whole conversations pop up about how oh, dealer texts are this or dealer texts are that, and I mean, you're kind of a, a different start, right? You're you kind of started as a fleet tech, I want to say, and then worked into this and you don't have maybe some of that jaded uh, attitude or, you know, some of the bad habits or, you know, that, that some of us are, are labeled to have, you know, what sure. do you, um, what do you think about that? When you see the guys that come from the dealerships, like, well, yeah, we can get, yeah, we can definitely get to that. Like you said, I didn't, I wasn't taught bad habits or I didn't gain them, but at the same time I did not have training or much direction either. So I got to make my own, habits, which sometimes weren't always right. I had a lot to learn when I left that place, you know, uh, I can basically roll through and finish how I got out of that and into, you know, yeah. the independent yeah, world. Sure. I worked there for three years. The owner of the company was a fantastic guy, super generous. When I first started there, they paid for me to buy tools. Uh, I had two, you know, the old school craftsman boxes, you stack. I had two, I had two stacks of craftsman boxes with a bunch of tools in them that I bought. But in any case, uh, the guy that he had that was mostly running most of the operations that I had to directly deal with was just a complete, he was, he was something else. He was a complete asshole. So I finally got sick and tired of it. One time he calls me on like Friday after work. And by the way, I was the only one there and we had a fleet of 20 something ambulances. So I was working I was working 80 to 90 hours a week. A lot of the time I worked my butt off when I worked there. It was, it was crazy, but that leads into, I felt, I did not feel appreciated by the guy that he had running the place for him. And it got to the point where one, one Friday he calls me and he's yelling and screaming at me on the phone about something that didn't get dealt with or done. And I'm like, dude, like, I had to prioritize. We had one of the ambulances had an emergency and then the supervisor vehicle they have running around the whole county also had a problem that needed to get dealt with. The other one that he was worried about, like it did not matter. I, that was on my plan to get handled. You know, maybe I should have called him just to let him know, Hey man, I'm not going to get that taken care of, but it didn't enter my mind because as soon as I heard, Oh shoot, one of them actually has an emergency I need to go deal with. I just dropped what I was doing and left. And then the service vehicle, the, whatever supervisor vehicle needed something too. So it's like, I prioritize differently. He calls me after I get home on Friday and my wife and I are about to leave and go somewhere. And we'd stepped out our back door. We're about to get in the car and I just picked the phone up and he's yelling and screaming and swearing at me and whatever. And I'm like, you know, are we allowed to swear on here? I don't know. <laughs> it's like, yes, don't, don't feel. Weird there you go. Yep. So, so he's yelling and swearing and screaming at me and my phone's not on speakerphone. It's just like, you know, normal mode still. And my wife's, we're outside. My wife's like 15, 20 feet away and even she can hear him screaming, you know? And at that point, the moment he quieted down for long enough for me to have a, a word in, I just said, fuck you and hung up the phone. And it's like, not everybody gets the opportunity to do that, <laughs> to do that to their boss, you know? Yeah, it was very stressful at the time because my wife was just starting sc- about to start school, and I'm like, dude, like I've got to be taking care of us, but I was, I can't deal with this guy anymore either. You know, it was just, I was done. I'm like, I'm not doing it anymore. So, you know, like I said, I had a good relationship with the owner of the company. I called him immediately after and told him what happened. But I was basically like, look, I'm not working for him anymore. If that means I can't yeah. be here, 
then sadly that is what it is. So on Monday, I put in my two weeks notice. I worked the rest of the two weeks taking care of what I needed to. And, um, uh, luckily at the time, at least I, the same day I put in the notice, I had a job lined up for when I was getting out at a local shop here in town. Good for you. Um, Good for you. So that takes me to another fun part of the story. So then I, I leave. Um, so I left the ambulance company and I go work at this local independent shop. And uh, when I got hired by them, I told them, you know, basically where I was at. I might have sounded a little bit too confident or like I knew more than I did. I don't know. But I told them, I was like, look, I have no training really. I'm used to dealing with a lot of different problems from my own stuff, doing it as a hobby. And I'm used to working on these, but like, I don't have experience, a lot of experience working on all kinds of other stuff, you know, and that they're like, that's okay. We're going to train you. We're going to teach you. Like, as long as you have a good attitude and you work hard, it'll be fine, you know, whatever. And so then I started with them and the first uh, week or two, actually it did go pretty well. They gave me like, um, they were feeding me like, excuse me. They were feeding me like smaller jobs, basic stuff at first, but they'd throw a few little bigger things in there. Like the first, like a week or week and a half after I started, they gave me a head gasket job to do. And I had a transmission that I did on something else, which at least to me at the time and my experience level, I was like, Oh, like I'm doing a head gasket or transmission. That's a bigger job, you know? Yep. And they're like, Oh, your quality of work looks really good. You're organized and whatever. We just got to get your speed up, you know, and you know, get you more experience. But the longer I was there, it just slowly started getting worse and worse and worse. And, uh, just very, very sour, negative atmosphere to be in. And, uh, yeah. it became clear I wasn't going to get much help or much training. Uh, I, so many times I'd ask for help and just get talked down to like, Oh, you should already know that. Or, Oh, I don't have time to help you. And it's like, you know, I, you're the one that says you're the, you know, especially the shop owner. He's so cocky. He still is. Um, he still operates in this town under a different business now, but in any case, yeah. you know, it's like just very little patience and showed very little ability or desire to actually train and give me an opportunity to grow and learn. Um, I only lasted there about three months and at the end of three months, he ended up letting me go. And to his credit, he at least felt bad. I could tell he felt bad. He's like, look, man, it's not working. You're not really making enough, you know, enough hours and getting enough to pay for yourself uh, because also being California, we're pretty much all hourly here other than dealerships. Right. So, you know, he was paying me hourly. He was not paying me much. Uh, looking back yeah. now as a business owner, I, I see a lot of why he wasn't able to pay me what he was. But anyway, that was my first hint at least on some of the things wrong in this industry and things that, you know, to keep an eye out for in other shops as well. Like I said, growing up and working and being around the trade, other trades as well. Like there's a lot of similar things going on in other places too. You know, I was used to people being kind of grumpy assholes and negative and whatever they're dealing, at least having to deal with a lot of people like that, you know, but in any case, so he apologetically told me I wasn't getting enough work done for him. Sadly, he's going to have to let me go. And then they also told me, you know what, man, I just, we don't think cars are your thing. You should probably get into a different business. And, uh, that lit a fire under my ass <laughs> for yeah. sure. So I then got very lucky. I, the next day I picked up my tool or no, that same day, that morning, I picked up my toolboxes. I made a few calls around. I called the Ford dealer and that's one of the one that's local to us about 25 miles away. He's just one of the calls I made was the parts guy there that I'd always dealt with when I worked for the ambulance company. I was like, Hey man, uh, his name's James. He's an awesome guy. 
but like, hey, James, I'm looking for work. I don't know if you know of anybody hiring, whatever. Um, just let me know. And like five minutes later, he calls me back and he's like, Hey, I have a, um, one of my customers here that owns a shop. He just, you know, I just talked to him a minute ago and he actually said he's looking for somebody and you should probably give him a call and talk to him. So like literally five minutes, like this is the same day I got fired. <laughs> I call, I, so I call the shop and I call and talk to the owner of that shop. I go down the next day to do like a trial day, basically. And just borrow his tools for the day and see how it goes. And uh, at the end of the day, he offered me a job and I said, okay, cool. Can I bring my tools down? Can I just come in a little bit late tomorrow so I can pick up my toolboxes and get them loaded and come in? And he's like, that sounds good. So then I went and started down there anyway. So then that was the la- that was the shop I worked at until I started my shop. So how many years were you at so, this shop? Only three years. Only three years, but... Yeah, he yeah, obviously that's more successful than I want to say the guy's name was. Uh, he cut the. You didn't mention his name, but we'll we'll call him Grumpy. That was long, uh, three years is better than three months at Grumpy Shop, right? So. Oh yeah. Yeah, and yeah, you, so, you you learned a lot working for him. I take it. Yeah, so um, working there was uh, another another lesson, another opportunity. Uh, you know, I try and look at anywhere that you've worked or. Or anybody you've had the opportunity to be around, pay attention and learn. Learn what to do or what not to do. You know what I mean. And uh, the, my pump life, life's just lessons, right? Like you, that's the exact same way I approach this. Is even if I go somewhere and yeah, I'm not a good fit, right? Or they're not a good fit for me, and and it just doesn't work out. You're 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 taking lessons every day from somebody. Either a lot of it, you know, as we get older, I realize is like. When you see people, you're seeing them sometimes do things and they're they're put there to show you what not to do, right? How not to <laughs> yes. deal with certain how not to take on certain types of jobs. But, you know, y- you can see people and they can be really not people persons. They can have really shitty personalities, but they can be fantastic, you know, mechanics and you can learn some really good yeah. technical stuff. Right. So yeah, I'm the same way. Everything is a lesson. Everything is an opportunity. If you go about it that way, you just have to keep an open mind and sometimes just keep your mouth shut and keep your eyes open and watch and listen. You know, that's, sure. the, that's the thing. You get so much more out of that than, than just how to fix the car. So mm-hmm. yeah. But yeah, Jeff, do you mind if we pause for a second? I apologize. I have a tiny bladder. No, nope. <laughs> just, just real fast. Yep. I will be. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's the thing I always try, you know, and especially I'm, I'm 47. I've been working pretty much in shops since 90, call it 99, 98. And, uh, so long time. And it's, you know, I've had some, I've had some employers that we didn't gel, you know, I've had lots of people that, you know, as, as you develop and, you know, things change and it's that's i've learned it took me a while is that you always i can see some people that i worked with and man they were he was a jerk like he was smart though right like he you could just watch <laughs> him um, and like jeez like you know and then I, I find it what tends to go sometimes is those guys that are super smart like that um they pull themselves at such a high standard in terms of 
how fast they can do something or, or the kind of complex stuff they can solve that it sometimes puts them in a, in a negative headspace or when they see everybody else and everybody else can't measure up to that. Right. And, and it, it puts them in that situation. I find that a lot in this industry. And it's one of the things that I'm trying to do as I get to know more people and talk to more people is I'm seeing some of that go away now because I'm, I think it's, I don't know if it's a generational thing or what, but I think a lot of people are just realizing that like some of us, we all learn a little different and we all sometimes approach a problem in a different manner. And there's been too many times that now we're starting to see, you can't say, well, that's the most effective way to fix that. Right. And I think that mm-hmm. that's, it's brought everybody's perception up a little bit better of, okay, there's more than one way to do this. And I think that that's been key. So yeah, I'm the same. I go with everybody that I meet in life, you know, ships passing, right. You just kind of, you'll watch and learn and, and carry on, you know, it's, it's important to be able to do that. So. Absolutely. But. I think it's important to be humble too, though. That's a thing I've seen, like you said, and it doesn't matter the profession, but a lot of times you find the people who are really good and they're very cocky. Sometimes mm-hmm. you get the people who are real cocky and have an attitude and they got no reason to You're like, what, where did you get this big head from? I don't know. I don't know where you got this idea that you're a uh, King Tut, but you, you make stupid mistakes all the time and you still think you're the master of the trade or whatever, you know? Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's sometimes I think it's that, it's that money thing, right? It's like, well, I still banged out X amount of hours or whatever. Right. So I I'm, can kind of wear my, mm-hmm. be at this level of, of sure. <laughs> and, yeah. um, you know, but whereas other good like- or bad, I find, I think just being humble in general is the most important thing. Cause it doesn't matter how good you are. You're going to make a mistake. And how much dumber are you going to look if, you know, you're cocky about it and then you make a dumb mistake? Because it's going to happen. All of us do it sometimes. And then the people that want to see you fail because of how you conduct yourself, they're just waiting. to. They're like jackals, right? They're just waiting to, ah, I told you, right? Like I knew. They're just rubbing their hands together going, I I knew if I hung around here long enough, I'd watch you screw up, right? You know, I don't want to give them that satisfaction. So I just try to be, I try to be hum- humble. So set the expectations but, low, yeah. <laughs> under promise, over deliver. Yeah. Baffle them with bullshit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, so what, what was that shop's name? What was it called? Which one? The, well, the first one, uh, the one you were there three years before you came into oh, thoroughbred uh, it's here. Called Sam tech automotive. They're still there. So the guy's name is Sam, the owner of that business. Okay. I'm still very good friends with him to this day. Uh, getting hired by him was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. He's that's good. Yeah. No, he's a very generous and very kind guy. I can get on to examples of that later maybe, but working for him provided a lot of opportunities for me to learn a lot of different things that ultimately came in handy later. You know, one thing when he hired me, uh, first, he had a guy that was handling almost all his diesel stuff for him. And that guy, that guy quit. I came in and he's like, look, I need somebody to do it. At the time, there's only three other guys or three guys there, including him. So I came in, I'm like, look, man, I don't know much about diesels, but I'm willing to learn. And as long as you're willing to show me what you can and be patient or whatever, then I'm more than happy to learn and take them off, you know, take the jobs on. And uh, before I knew it, I was pulling cabs left and right because we had a fleet of trucks that had six fours and I was pulling them on six liters too. And yeah. um, 
And then we were working on a lot of Cummins uh, as well. Not as many Duramaxes here and there, but it was my point for me, it was great because it, that also had its own thing to it when I first started doing it. Cause I always think like growing up in the town I'm in a lot, most of the shops are like, Oh, we don't work on diesels. You know, we just work on passenger cars. So yeah. it was kind of a cool thing for me going there. I'm like, Oh, cool. Now I get to where I'm still working on passenger cars, but I get to do the diesel stuff and learn that too. At the end of the day, the more you learn, it's like, they're not that different. Wires are wires. It's like, as long as you understand how it works, all of the same general principles still apply, you know, when it comes yeah. to diagnosing yeah. and whatnot. So the opportunity that I had there was to get more experience working on that kind of stuff. We also had high end stuff come through once in a while. And that was really cool to be able to kind of be around and experience as well. Most of the work was still just general repair on everyday vehicles, whatever, you know, is under the sun. But it was interesting going there. I look back and I forgot about this until recently. When I left, like I said, learning, trying to take lessons from everywhere you go. When I left the first shop that I, that I got let go from and I went and started working for him, about two months after he had hired me, I had like a whole plan written out for things that we should be doing, like trying to put some systems and procedures in place. He's a good mechanic. He's great with people. And so he's good at getting the work through the door and whatever else, but he was very disorganized and did not have much systems and procedures in place. And one, like I, I was, one of the big ones for me was even just a standard inspection form. Like we're just pulling the cars in and, all right, you go look it all over. You tell me what it needs, you know, and it's like, write your notes. And I, I went out of my way to create a whole inspection form. And, uh, excuse me here. Let me just shut the door on them. My apologies. I don't want them to be interrupting with, uh, just walking around all loud. Hey there. Hey there. Sorry, bud. Lo The husky, when she walks around, dude, it's like click, clack, click, clack, so loud, <laughs> even though she's half its size. In any case. So you, you came to him with some ideas. Yeah. So I, I basically approached him after I'd been there for about two months, and I had, I had built a whole inspection form for us to fill out on clipboards or whatever. Um, I also had a list of like ideas of, that we should be implementing over time, like just different systems for, uh, for how we handle whatever things going through the shop. And to his credit, he's like, yeah, you're right. You know, we should start doing some of these things. We sh um, we'll start using the inspection forms and whatever, you know, so that was cool. That was a small opportunity for me to try and add additional value for him and uh, try and help make the business better, you know. And that was that was an example of just, you know, going from the shop I was at before. There's a lot of things I could look at and criticize from the shop I was at before, but they were very organized. And so like I guess I tried to, to kind of pull that over to try and help him out and help us out um, and help us grow in that way. But in any case, uh, for about the first year and a half or so that I was working there, I just was mostly focused on trying to learn as much as I could. And it was, like I said, a good opportunity because I had the opportunity to work on and learn on all kinds of different vehicles and different systems and whatever else. And what it eventually ended up happening is the other guys there did not have much experience with electrical diagnostics or really most diagnostics. If it wasn't a mechanical noise or mechanical fault, you know, it wasn't something they were going to figure out. And a lot of times they're getting comebacks because they were diagnosing them wrong too. Yeah. And I 
was given the opportunity working for him, sometimes he'd rush me. Sometimes he'd get a little annoyed at how long I was taking because I was both learning and trying to do it right at the same time, you know? But eventually he realized like, he's not getting comebacks. Like his jobs, when he gets them done and send them out, they're done, you know? Mm-hmm. And over time I started getting faster as well, but that was an opportunity for me to, to be able to have an environment where I was given the space and the an environment to learn in. And yeah. it was awesome because after a few years, it got to the point where then suddenly everybody else is coming and asking me for help, you know? Mm-hmm. And then that brings me to like the, the, the biggest thing that helped me with that. And this ties into more stuff with the business that I'm in now that we can talk about later, but was finding, I, uh, when I was working for him is when I found Scanner Danner. And, right. and that changed my life. Like it changed a lot of things for me because I did not understand all that stuff either. And following him and learning from him and whatever else that really, and then that being also coupled with the environment that I had where I was basically being given all the diag work because nobody else wanted to do it. You know, that those two things really uh, helped me uh, progress a lot faster than other people would have had the opportunity to, because at the end of the day, you know, most guys out in most shops, if they were at the level that I was at at that time, they would have been getting fed break jobs. They would have been getting fed, you know, shock suspension, ball joints. They might've been doing some minor engine repair or whatever else. But because of that opportunity I had, that's like, oh, hey, this six liters coming in. It's got a blown head gasket, pull the cab off, pull the whatever. Like that's intimidating the first time you do that, you know, to pull that whole thing apart and do head studs on it. Like, after you've done enough of them, it's like, okay, yeah, whatever. Just follow your procedures and you're fine. But that's intimidating. So getting the opportunity for that. And then at the same time, a car shows up and I got no idea what's wrong with it or how to figure it out, but nobody else does either. So I'm given the yep. opportunity to then try and figure that out. Like, like I said, that, that whole thing was extremely helpful for me. And I, I just, there's some people that might've been, some people might've wanted more direction, I guess, you know, than I got, but I, I have to be grateful, at least for myself and for us at the time, it worked, it worked in my favor and worked well. I think you know? it's important that we all find our, our, I don't want to say our niche or our way, but I mean, we all kind of have our own, you know, process that we follow when it's, when we're do, doing a diag or, you know, something that's not a routine repair. And I think that's like you, you say we sometimes, Oh, I wish I had more guidance or I wish I had more somebody to kind of show me what they do or show me how they do it. But I mean, I'm thankful that a lot of the time it was just me in the car because like I, I refined my, my method and, you know, I refined my, my instincts, Right. I learned to rely on that really well. And I learned to just kind of like, okay, so if, if I unplug that and it generates this, then that tells me that about it. Right. And I could go on with that way. And it's, I'm, I'm not, I'm not resentful that there wasn't somebody to help me because knowing the way I am, my personality, I'm always, if you tell me to do something one way, it's not me asking because I don't want to do it your way. I'm going to ask you, I already have another question in mind. Okay. So if I do it this way and then I do that, then like I'm already thinking a step ahead. Right. So sometimes it's people don't, 
they think that that's disrespectful or something, but it's, it's just how I'm wired. Right. So I didn't have a lot of guidance and I think that was good. Just me in the car and the scan tool and a wiring diagram and a lot of late nights with the radio going was, was <laughs> really good for me. Right. Because it's like, I developed that process and then it's like, I just use it, use it. It's, it's hard now to go back and teach it to somebody. Right. Because mm-hmm. I, it's sometimes we all do it so instinctively. We don't know when you say, well, somebody says, well, why do you do it that way? It's hard to remember why I do it that way. Right. Until you can kind of think, oh, I do it this way because one time when I didn't do it that way, this happened. That's the best answer I can give a lot of people sometimes. And it's, if they, if it clicks with them, it clicks with them. Right. But no, I know where you're coming from for sure. Like I, it's been a lot of, I had a similar thing where people just started handing me cars to Diag and I just went through it. You know, I just muddled yeah. my way through. <laughs> I'm yeah. thankful for it, but sure. you know, Paul Danner is, is, you know, his ears are probably burning because he gets mentioned in, in a lot of episodes. I was just talking oh, about yeah. yesterday, but I mean, I don't think he'll ever know the true impact he's had. Right. I mean, I think he, he no. gets it. He doesn't really know to the level I think. Yeah. And then, he's such a humble guy and he's not, you know, he's not a boastful or a proud person. He doesn't, you know, that he doesn't even tell about Paul in his own videos. If you watch him, you can tell he is a genuine like person. He wants to help. He wants to train. He also genuinely enjoys and loves what he does. And he, he it's infectious, you know? Oh, it's, it's yeah. it, it, that is infectious to the people that watch it. And everybody else is like, you know what? Like uh, so many people, so many texts and me in the past as well. were like, I hated having a car come in with a weird problem. That I couldn't figure out because I, I did, I didn't know where to go or what to do. And after learning yeah. and watching from him, it's like, you know what? No, this actually can be fun. It's like, yeah. You know, sometimes it's still stressful, but, but, but it actually can be fun because you can attack, approach it. You know, it's just, just approach it like another obstacle that you have to get over and get through and whatever else. And he helps show you strategies on how to do that. And Paul himself, like yeah. you said, I, you're right. He's too humble to understand or take any credit for how much he's helped all of us. And it was yeah. so cool when I found the Facebook the ASOC group and he was on there and I got to like, just send a comment to him and just say, thank you. Like you changed my life yeah. and you really, you know, it's, I don't know. You, you completely changed the direction of my life. And of course he responds and he's like, thank you so much. That's awesome. Whatever. But he hears that all the time from everybody, but he, yeah. Does he really understand or know? Like, like my eyes would like could tear up from wanting to express great gratitude to him, you know? When I, when I met him at ASTE, it was it was like I I can't. It's you know because him and I had talked a lot leading up to that, and I mean we've been we've been talking pretty regular for you know over a year now, and you know not like every day, but I mean you know once a week or something, just a, a message back and forth saying hey, and but to meet him How in cool person, it is you can do that in this day and age, dude. <laughs> this is so what cool. I mean. Is this this industry? I want more people to get into it because it isn't like it was even 20 years ago, where the best option you might have had was to call a friend at a dealership or call a friend at another shop or call a parts person at another dealership and say, Hey, I got one of these. Can I talk to you or can I talk to your service manager or can I talk to your, you know, your lead tech? That was the best option you had, 
right? Of, of trying to fix that car that was kicking your tail. Now, oh my God, man, the people that are just a, a click away that you can reach out to. And, and you know, I have, a, I have a core group of people I talk to all the time and people that know me, like I spend way too much time on Facebook talking to people, but it, it just, there's so much therapeutic effect that happens of being able to just share, you know, how we're all some days, you know, some days you're the hammer and some days you're the nail. When you have those days where you're the nail, it's so, I wouldn't survive it if I didn't have so many people to be able to reach out to and go, oh yeah, I've been there. You'll get through it. It's not the end of the world, right? Like, I think that's what we all need more of in this industry. And, you know, I'm trying to, it's called the Jaded Mechanic Podcast, but I mean, I don't want everybody to be jaded. I want everybody to, to, you know, share their stories and, you know, you're trying to climb back up out of that hole and help pull other people up with you. Exactly. Right. So, so what, what was the decision to, to, cause if you were in a pretty good shop and you were getting treated well, what was the decision to just jump off into, into t- taking your own Jesse? What was, what was sure. that? Uh, well, if I am uh, taking too long on, on the stories, please tell me I can try oh, and shorten no. them up a little more. <laughs> You're don't worry about I that. Will, I will get there. So after I worked for him for about almost two years, I was finally at the point where I was pretty, I was like the lead tech in the shop uh, for all intents and purposes. If he wasn't there, I was the one running it. If he had to go out for a couple days or whatever, you know, and then we, he, one cool thing that he did that I really appreciated in the summertime, uh, at least a few times a year, if we had time, we'd try and take off early on Fridays and go to the local lake and go wakeboarding or go out tubing or whatever. And uh, anyway, one Friday, one fateful Friday, we went out there with his boat and he had me and one of his friends on the, the raft behind him. And he's he's trying, you know, it's a game, of course. We try and stay on. He tries to get us off. And he like we're fighting so hard and he just keeps going faster and, and cutting harder and faster, cutting harder. I don't know how fast like we're going by the time the, the floats, you know, doing its whole swing, you know, slingshot swing thing. But he finally flipped us over and I hit the water so hard with my left shoulder. I landed directly on my left shoulder and I hit the water hard enough and knocked the air out of me. And that was like weird. So I'm like, dude, I've had the air knocked out of me falling weird on my stomach before or my back. But I've never landed like on my literally my shoulder and had the air knocked out of me. And then I go to get out of the water and my left arm was limp. I couldn't move it. I tore my rotator cuff. Wow. So anyway, like an idiot, I kept having you know having beers and having fun on the boat i just wakeboarded with one arm <laughs> or whatever and had fun but then when it came time to go to work on monday by the by the time monday rolled around i would realize like my arm is messed up like i can't really you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i know there's guys out there that are have disabilities that can do some amazing things but i have no training working <laughs> working as a technician and trying to be any at all productive with only one arm you know and i had a another diesel job that i was almost done with and i basically i went in there and it took me like four or five hours to get the job finished up and it should have only taken an hour and a half you know or two and once i got it done and running or whatever i went and sat down in the office and talked to him and I was like, look, man, my arms, my arms messed up. Like I can't, you know, I, I'm not going to be able to do this in any meaningful, productive way that's going to benefit either of us. How about you go back and work in the shop and I run the office until my arm gets better, 
you know, and luckily I was able to do that because I had taken it upon myself to at least learn how to use the management system he had and learn how to build estimates. And, you know, I had enough experience doing some of that for him filling in that I felt confident enough to be able to do it. And to his credit, again, that's like I said, that's another opportunity for me. He's like, he's like, you know, you're right. I get it. You're not going to be able to get enough done. I was like, look, I'll still go out in the shop as necessary. I'll still help with doing testing and diag work or whatever yeah. else. But when it comes to actually wrenching, like it's not, it's going to be better for you to just go work, you know? And he agreed to that. And basically he went out in the shop and worked for a few months and I ran the office and ran the shop and still helped with some diag and stuff. And again, that was an opportunity, you know? Because yeah. um, not every not awesome. every tech would get that would get that opportunity to be able to do that, or not every tech would be in a shop where they could even take advantage of that, you know, mm-hmm. of that opportunity. So, um, so I did that for a few months, and it actually worked pretty well. I I was happy because I was kind of in there doing my thing. I was I'm a lot more meticulous and organized. Like like okay. I, I've got OCD too bad. All my little things got to be like lined up on the desk, and you know. And he's just like, there's just papers everywhere. You know, it was funny. We used to get like comments all the time from customers and other people coming in. They're like, wow, like it looks so different in here, you know? And uh, (laughs) I think he, he, he seemed pretty happy with it too. Um, For the most part, he's like, honestly, like I like going out and being able to wrench and letting you handle this, you know, like I he was happy with how things were running. But anyway, so that was a good opportunity for me to get some, uh, experience in that role. And then right about the time where my arm was getting, uh, getting better and I was getting up to speed again, and we probably would have um, switched back. We then found out we were going to lose the lease on the shop that we were renting at the time. And we had to let another guy go. And it was down to shoot, man. I think it was actually just for a, for a little bit of time there. It was down to just me and him. And at the same time, we found out that we were going to lose the lease on the building. We had two months to get out. And uh, a couple, like a week or so after we found that out, we ended up finding out there was another shop. What year was this? This was at the end of 2019, the beginning of 2020. There was another shop that was closing down their location and moving. I mean, they were going to sell out the business and all the equipment that was there and everything else. So, you know, we talked about it. We're like, look, well, you know, should we go for it? It was a lot bigger location. We're going to need to hire more people and and whatnot. And the location was a lot better. It was very close to be like right on the main drag where all the dealerships and everything were um, down in that area. And so basically we're like, yeah, let's just do it. And so then over the next two months, we built a a team that had to hire people and this and that. And that was another opportunity for me as well, get some more experience trying to figure all this stuff out. And um, we grew it up to a team of about five or six people and moved everything over there. And I got to set that shop up. And, um, then basically I was the lead technician there and the shop foreman for him. And I, you know, got that opportunity to do that for several months, but I knew before any of that happened, I knew that ultimately I wanted to go start my own shop. Um, and the reasons for that are mostly were lack of opportunity as nice of a guy as he was and as well as I was treated there, the pay just wasn't there. And Southern California is expensive, man. Like it is not cheap to live here. And I did not see a future for myself if I, Mm. you know, if I stayed there. 
I didn't see an opportunity to make enough money to feed myself, you know, and, and he ran, uh, he ran his business in a way that took as good a care of the customers as possible. And he always paid his employees on time and he took good care of us. And, and there's a lot of different ways he's generous, but at the same time, I think he's guilty of the same thing. A lot of technicians turn shop owners are of maybe you have a, a wife that makes a lot of money or maybe, you know, like all you need is enough to get by or whatever. But these things, even though they help you and they can help you get started, they also can become crutches that keep you from growing and pushing to run and operate things a certain way to actually be you know profitable enough to do the things you need to do. And yeah. another thing, to be honest, I didn't like commuting. I live up in the mountain, like a small mountain town. I like it up here. I didn't like driving down to the city to work. And yeah. The small town I'm in, there's a lot of shops up here. And I remember I told him, I told him before actually, man, this is rough looking back. I was a jerk. Right when, right around the time it got down to there only being two of us. And then there was like another guy that was halftime. I told him, I was like, just so you know, in about a year or so, I'm probably going to leave, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. And then after that's when the whole move thing happened and we took over or whatever. And when that happened, he did actually offer to make me a partner with him. And I was thinking he was hoping I was going to stay. But we didn't really discuss it. And then in July or so after, they, what, then that was 2020. So then COVID hit. And that was a weird yep. little time too. It's like, all right, what's going to happen? You know, I don't know. And yeah, we never ran out of work, but things did slow down a little bit for like literally a week or maybe two weeks. And then it just kept getting busier and busier and busier. And like, we couldn't keep up again. And so that made me feel confident enough to know at least. I was like, there was a couple shops that did go out of business in that area down there but they were barely doing anything anyway, you know? And it it made me realize and feel more confident of like, okay, well, you know, the world's crazy place right now, but there's still obviously a lot of repair work that needs to get done. And it was funny. He told me too, he's like, man, why do you want to start a shop in Ramona? You're not going to get any business up there. And I'm like, dude, there's there's spread out across the larger area. There's a lot of people and everybody up here. Well, most people up here commute for work. There's a lot of shops, but most of them aren't the best. And, you know, there's a lot of work. So I, I felt comfortable enough to take the risk. So then basically, um, I had that discussion with him five, six months before. And then I, what, the begin or end of September, I told him, hey, October is my last month. November, I'm starting my shop and I'm going to be out of here. And uh, he was a little upset for a day or so, you know, about it. But to his credit, he was... He was very uh, understanding, very supportive. And another lucky thing that I had going for me is when we bought out that other shop and moved over there, there's, we had doubles of a lot of equipment, right? Like yeah. we had two AC machines. We didn't really need two AC machines. We had, uh, we had like extra presses. We had extra specialty tools for things. There was extra stuff that we didn't need. And so um, I made a deal with him. And we kind of picked out whatever equipment I wanted to take and agreed on a price for it. And he was generous enough to let me take it. And he said, look, I trust you take it. And this is, this is the agreed upon price, but you pay me back whenever you can. Don't worry about it. Like go get started and do what you need to do. And, you know, so like I said, the generosity of, of him and generosity of others too. Like another example of generosity was the, the ambulance company, when I left working for them, the owner of that company let me take all my tools with me for free, even though they all bought them when I started there. 
So right. I'm just saying, looking back, it's like I, I have been very blessed and very lucky. And there's definitely been hard scenarios I've had to go through or difficult times or whatever. But a lot of pivotal points in my life, I've been lucky enough to have people there that cared and that were kind enough to help help me have a chance to step up, you know? Yeah, and- I think that's that's the beauty of what I see. And sometimes in the ASAR group is that you're seeing more examples like that of where somebody's saying, okay, so... You know, I lost my my foreman or I lost my top tech, right? But, I mean, we're now in some kind of working partnership together, right? And a lot of people in this industry have been given a helping hand up, right? And I think that that's, for the people listening, if you can do that, do it. Because you're not enabling your competition, right? You're helping somebody get to that next step that this industry needs, right? It's not a situation that this industry needs more shops. It's a situation of this industry needs more of the right shops. And if you yeah. built somebody in your shop and they're, they're, they're a fantastic tech and they're what this industry needs, help them any way you can. You know, I think that's awesome that he was able to, you know, and yeah, it's lucrative for him, you know, instead of having it sit there, do nothing, he might as well sell it to you. Right. But yeah, to be able I mean, to sit you know, even there, he sold it to me for such a good, the stuff I needed for such a good price. It was all used equipment, but like, you know, I got a bunch of stuff for basically three or four brands that if I had to go buy all of it new, it would have been 20, you know, yeah. like, and he could, yeah. he had every right to sell for more than he did too. Not to mention, let me take it, you know, interest free for seven or eight months before I paid him back. Yeah. Yeah. I think, that I, I think that's awesome. I think that's how more of us need to, to approach this, right. As, as we're starting to see some people transition out is like, you know, and it, it's, you see some guys where it's like their succession plan is like, they'd love to have, you know, a tech take the business over, you know, a good friend of mine, that's, you know, the last place that he was an employee for, he purchased the shop, you know, some days he's like, I wish it never had, but I mean, (laughs) you know, he says, he says that in jest, he's, you know, he enjoys what he's doing. So what, what long-term do you want to do with like, do you want to own, Two stores, three stores. Like you hear the guys talking about, you know, an ASOG and changing history where it's like, you know, one is good, two is three seems to be the magical number. Like, do you ever see yourself getting there? Um, let me put it this way. There's a lot in my own head. I always have a lot of different ideas or goals maybe for, you know, where do I want to be at this point or that point or whatever. But at the same time, I really struggle with like, I'm Mr. Super ADHD and I really struggle with focusing on one thing at a time. So I think about that kind of stuff. But once I have an idea in my head of where I need to be, I try to shelve it away and focus on what's in front of me. So let's just say when I was first getting all these ideas going in my head, I'm like, you know what, if the opportunity is there and I can, I would love to be able to do that. But realistically speaking, I have a long way to go before I can even think about or consider any of that. You know, I'm still struggling to try and be profitable even as it is right now. It's been a sprint. Like I said, it's been two and a half years since I started as a one man show and I've got five employees now. And one of the, you know, there's a lot of things, like I said, looking back from other places, trying to learn, like I want to run my shop in a more positive and growth-minded environment where people actually enjoy coming to work, enjoy hanging around each other, and, it, and it's a good place to be. But 
you know, I also want it to be run efficiently and productive enough for us to be profitable enough to grow, continue to grow and do well and trying to learn mm-hmm. how to balance those things, especially when I, I kept trying to hire myself out of my problems for the first year and a half <laughs> and realized I was just making it worse and making it harder to manage. You know, I'm still very much in the early learning stages of trying mm-hmm. to f- just figure out how to fine tune what I have. And for what it's worth, I think I'm at the point now where I'm not looking to hire anybody else right away. Long, like in the next couple of years, I would like to hire an actual full-time service advisor. Right now I have a customer service representative. She's, she's great, but she's not a service writer. You know, those are two completely different jobs. And I'm trying to build to the point where I've got a decent team in the shop that can get, get the work done, get the cars diagnosed and whatnot, but also have a team in the office that I can rely on and trust. And I'm not even going to think about opening another shop until I feel like, I mean, and I might never even do it, you know, Mm -hmm. but if I, even if I did, I would never want to do that until I feel like I had achieved and reached the point where I could actually walk away from this one and let it run itself, you know? Right. And I'm a long way from that happening. (laughs) So do you utilize a coach right now? uh, Not yet. So I, I can run through, all the I already talked through basically the first several months of hiring everybody and everything. But basically, you know, I mentioned about what, geez, man, it's already June. So it's been eight or nine months since we moved to the bigger shop we're at now. Mm-hmm. But keep in mind, when that happened, it had been almost, it had been less than a year since I'd hired my first guy. It had been only three or four months since I hired my second guy. And then it had been about, a, and then about a month or two after I hired the third one, who's the shop foreman now, and, you know, lead technician slash shop foreman. Anyway, all that had happened so quickly. I realized like I was, I was on a path to disaster as far as money's concerned. You know, I was focused so much on growth and building the business and getting work coming in. I was not doing a good job building systems and procedures and, and keeping things running well enough. And then I, and then that's when I had a, another aha and lucky moment. I saw a video sitting on the couch one day when my wife was gone at work um, on the weekend or something. And I saw a video that was uh, David Luke or no, actually it wasn't David Lucas yet. I saw a video on there of like somebody starting an automotive shop. I don't know if you've seen uh, Lucas and David's response video to it. It was a guy named Lucky, yes. like Lucky's Garage. Okay, yeah. so I didn't stumble on Lucas and David's video first. I stumbled on that video, the, the original video first. And I'm watching this and I'm like, wow, like this is interesting. This guy's kind of like a little bit younger as a shop owner like I am. Like, and I'm listening to how he does this and handles things. I'm like, wow, that sounds kind of similar to how I do, whatever, you know. And then I see a recommendation for David and Lucas's video. And they're just like, you know, they're going ham on all the things he's doing wrong and everything else. And it opened my eyes and I was like, holy crap, dude, I, I have a lot to learn apparently. And it really opened my eyes up. And, and actually, even though it was like difficult a little bit to accept, I'm like, man, I got a lot to learn. It was also a relief in a way, because I was like, wow, there's actually people out here talking about this stuff. Yeah. Because I had never been exposed to it. I like I had never I had never heard of training events. The only automotive event I'd ever kn- heard of or knew about was freaking SEMA. And that's not automotive training. You yeah. know, that's a car show thing. It's like so it's like that's the only thing I'd heard of. And I I wasn't familiar with the Facebook groups or anything else. I didn't really know any of it existed. And so when mm-hmm. I found that video, then 
I watched a couple more and I realized that there was a Facebook, the ASOG Facebook group. And I joined that. And then I then found the podcast and I started listening to all the podcasts and I go back and re-listen to them to try and make sure I was like soaking the information in. And yep. man, to me, that's another emotional one that I'm really grateful for because without that, I, I would have put myself out of business running the things the way I was. And it, it felt very similar to when I found Scanner Danner when I was a technician, mm. like when I found Scanner Danner as a technician, finding uh, David and Lucas's podcast and then finding the ASOG group felt like that as a business owner, as a shop owner. And yeah, um, there's some de- there's some definite parallels between Lucas and, and Paul. I can like I've, I've spent enough time with both of them now. There's there's some definite you know, they're they're cut from the same cloth, right? They are very much the same type of person. They want to see other people succeed, right? It's a, it's a, it's a sure. wonderful, it's so good to be around them. People like that. And David too, David, uh, you know, I don't mean to exclude David. No, David is, David is the same exact way. He's just a different personality <laughs> and he has fun playing no, the grouch. It's yin and yang, right? You need them both. But I mean, I, I just, I, I wish I'm happy to see more and more, you know, because I advocate for techs, right? But I mean, I advocate for techs because a lot of techs wind up as owners. And I mean, and, you know, we hear some people talk about how that that's not really the solution to to what the industry needs to do. It's maybe not, but I want to see everybody that does go that route succeed. You know, I want to, sure. and that's, it's, it's a beautiful way to be able to enable those people. I mean, some people, you know, there's just some personalities that is like, nah, I don't think it works for me and I'm going to do it my way. And they eke it out and they make it, you know, and that's cool. But I mean, when we start to see how, you know, you, you hear your stories and other people's stories about, you know, going into the business and what they're doing and how, oh, I got my margins right. How those little victories for them, right. Where they start to turn, you know, like Lucas with his every Monday. Okay. Let's start the week off with, you know, what did you learn? What is like, it's just fantastic. Little things like that mm-hmm. to see the positives of it. Right. And to see the struggle too of some, Oh man, I got one that's kicking my tail. Just that to have that group. We're all so fortunate and so lucky to have that sounding board of people to be able to go like, it's going to be okay. You're going to make it. And this is what I had to do in sharing experiences. Like, you know, I, the reason I ask about the coaching is because I think like, that group is so important and these groups like this for people that necessarily financially can't afford a coach yet, Mm -hmm. um, you know, can get the guidance that they need without having to be so financially committed to the coaching thing. And I'm not trying to say that coaching is not worth it. That's not what I'm saying, but I mean, it's, I feel like we're doing such a good thing every day by just having people be able to ask questions in a free manner and get help and get guidance and sure and not cost them other than time. Right. Like it's, if we can start to see more people have the conversations and see the shops improve and everybody improves, you make more money. I make more money. We all feel happier. We all get along mm-hmm. better with everybody. Like I, I work better with my boss. You know, my boss works better with my coworkers. Like it, it's just all mm-hmm. good. That's what we need. Absolutely. And, you know, well, that's the, um, on the, the coaching thing, finishing with that, like I, I'm not in a, a part of a coaching company or don't have a coach, but when I found the ASOC group after I'd been in there about a month or so, I did uh, end up finding out and getting involved with the, they have their, the mastermind program. 
Yeah. So, so I got in with that. So it's like, you know, I'm not, yeah, like you just said, not having to make the financial commitment, especially when you're already so scared and stressed out about money as it is, is huge mm-hmm. because the people in there are, can be extremely informative and helpful and gracious and, um, and happy if you need extra help to take the time to explain things or to go over things or give you examples or even just give you a templates for how to do certain yeah. things or whatever, you know? Like, so Adam Rath is the one leading that group and at the moment, but like Adam and then like Benji and Carlos and Jim, um, all of these people are in ASOG. So if anybody that's listening to this is in ASOG uh, or in the Changing the Industry Pod or the Industry Podcast Facebook group, yeah. those are probably faces and people that you see in there. But I really just talking the same as about Scanner Danner and then about Lucas and David and whatever else. I really appreciate all these people's commitments as well. Of course, Steve, <laughs> and I have not mentioned Steve Falava because <laughs> he's in there as well yeah. as one of the leaders. He's the, the man that started it all. Yep. He's yep. extremely humble um, about it too. He's the one that started all of this for, you know, for us time. without him starting that Facebook group and, and growing it and, and managing it. You and I wouldn't be here, you know? No. And, and, and I have to like, and I'll, I'll thank Did them I all again. Steve? Right. And, I'm so sorry, Scott. Yeah. I said, Steve, Scott. didn't I? What a jerk. Yeah. Did, Lucas edit that. I meant to say Steve, Fal- <laughs> Steve Falava. <laughs> Ah, Scott, I said it again. Shoot me. It's okay. Everybody's got to have a dumb blonde moment on the podcast once in a while, right? (laughs) Yep. And I'm so thankful for for this, for the opportunity they gave me and the the voice that they've given me, right? Because it's just, you know, it, without it, my perspective wouldn't be, wouldn't have changed. And without it, you know, I'd still be working, but I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be enjoying it. You know what I mean? And that, and that's the whole thing is like, I want to, I want to be that change, right? I want to see all of us do better. You know, we, we have no choice. We have to do it to survive. There's just no two ways about it. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's been so good to meet these people that like, you know, have, have changed my direction, you know, like it, it's, it's been so good. The, the ASA group, the changing the industry group, it, it, I can't say enough good things about what they do for people. And, it, and, and so much of it is just volunteer. You know what I mean? It is yep. just wanting to see other people not have to struggle as hard as other people did to get there. And that that's so key. Like, I mean, I met Benji at, at ASTE where, and it was like, <laughs> I didn't know Benji at all. And Benji came up to me and, oh man, he says like, I, I so resonated with what you said, you know, he's like, and he's telling me the story of like when he kind of decided where he'd had enough and he was going to go into business for himself. Right. And he talks about throwing a radiator across the room and saying enough's enough. I'm done. And I didn't know that everything that I have always done and said, the way I've carried myself and conducted myself has had such an impact on so many people, right? Until you start to, to still, you start to meet these people and you talk to them and you realize, wow, the, even the, what seems so little can be such a big thing. And I think that that's the beauty of that group, right? Is it's just little, little words of encouragement, little, I've been there and done that, right? Help yeah, I mean, somebody you're like you. Being your, told it's going to be okay and it's not all going to come crashing down, like, you know, because like somebody's, somebody's, Somebody's going to hear your story, Jesse, and and be like, 
I was in that. I'm in that exact same spot right now. Not me personally, but that's what they're going to say. And they're, they're going to maybe think, okay, do I approach my boss about, you know, what's his succession plan? You know, mm-hmm. what, does he want a partner? Does he want to sell? Like some of us just get so into the routine of going in every day that we don't think about what tomorrow is and what, oh, what yeah. how we could, you know, I mean, yeah, it's. No, it's easy to get wrapped up in that what you're doing every day and all the problems that you face every day and you don't think about all the other stuff in life or your future or whatever else there is to consider. And at the end of the day, one of the reasons I'm so grateful I found ASOG and the group and podcasts and listening to people like you is, is intuitively I felt and I like I, I knew a lot of these problems, but I couldn't articulate all of them and I didn't know how to fix them either. And like when I started my business, like I said, I, I wanted to provide a better work environment than some of the negative places and people I'd been around before. I wanted it to be a good place to work, but I never wanted anybody to feel, I wanted to provide a place where people can learn and grow. But I also, you know, I want to provide a path and a ladder for people to climb. I, you know, it's like yep. as far as succession plans go, I don't have anything super ironed out on that yet. But at the end of the day, like I want all my guys to get better at what they do so that I can afford to pay them more. I want them to get more educated so that when they do get older, they can work more with their mind and their body. It's like at the end of the day, like like we all got to work, you know, like so there's a still ball joints still got to get pressed, break jobs still got to get done, whatever. But I want them to ha- be in a place where if, if they're willing to push themselves to, or, or try to at least that they can learn and they have the chance and opportunity to do that. And, you know, but how to do all those things. And then also I, I wanted to give a good and a better experience for the customers because I had seen a lot of examples of how things were handled poorly or somebody wasn't really told the exact truth or you like small things fell through the cracks that led to somebody having a bad experience or upset. And it's like, you know, all these different things and problems in your head and finding and realizing that there's another group of people out there. And by the way, not to mention all the other problems this industry faces in general (laughs) with the rapid pace of technology and there being a shortage of people in skilled trades and everything else, all these different things. But just knowing that there is other people out there that are aware of these problems, have more experience than you do, and that you can all talk and kind of work through them together makes you feel so much better and less alone because at the end of the day, when I started the business, I felt very alone. I, I know, kind of know a few other business owners here and there, but like, it's not the same as what I do. And I don't, what I, I can't understand that they do exactly either. And that's okay. But yeah, I felt very alone and that has helped me a lot. And I think the beauty of this, the, the Facebook groups and the, and the internet is you can talk to, you know, everybody I think is in their own community is a little leery of talking too much to another shop unless it's that situation like we, you know, your example of where you came from that shop, right? So that you have a rapport with him. He kind of, in a way, he mentored you, right? Then you can feel like you feel comfortable in talking to them. But a lot of people that I know in my area, we're not comfortable talking to our numbers and such and so forth with another shop in the area because 
we don't want to let them in, right? We don't want to f- share too much. We, they sure. still feel like competition. But as soon as you get on the internet and somebody's in another state or whatever, you feel more unburdened. You feel safe, like you can you can share with them, and you're not worried about enabling your competition because you don't see them as your competition. I just hope that it's someday we can all get to where we realize that other shop's not your competition, right? Yeah, they have their own and they have their own clients and they have their own way of doing things and they sell their own level of value. That's not important. You know, you just have to be able to help one another, take the good and the bad from that, learn from it like we talked about. And you and you take those lessons and you make yourself the best that you can be. You know, and I think that when we all get to that, then this industry really changes, I feel. You know, I think I that that's key. You know, I think that's been the beauty of the groups and that's one of the, the goals I have with this podcast is just be able to get people on people. Tell me your story. Tell me what it is. You, you know, what, what kicked your tail and then let's, you know, make everybody can hear that and go, Oh, wow. I really resonate with that. You know, I, okay. It's not that bad, but you know, mm-hmm. what, what do you hope to see change for the industry? Well, yeah, I mean, that was kind of the next thing I would have talked about. And the natural progression here of the conversation is I, you know, on one side of things, I am still a somewhat younger stressed, like, for example, other than the apprentice, I'm the youngest person in my shop, too, which feels weird, you know, but I want to do the best I can to build a business that is going to be good for my community, good for my employees and good for me and my family. Trying to work out how to balance all that is not easy. And I'm I'm still working on it, but, and so at the stage that I'm at, at the moment, that's what my focus is. But in the back of my mind, you know, there are ideas that I have that I haven't fully worked through yet. And there are things that I would like to be able to offer to try and help as far as the community goes, like, or the, you know, the community is not my community in my town. I mean, our community of industry. Yeah. I think, I don't know. At the end of the day, so many people still don't even know that any of this exists and that's a problem. Mm -hmm. I would like to find a way to spread that word more, but you have to spread it in the right way because so many people could be turned up, are going to be turned off so easy. And sadly, so many people in this industry are still so old school or they don't want to touch a computer. You know, they don't want to touch Facebook or, or you face with the young people. They don't even want to be on Facebook anymore because that's already too old, (laughs) you know? But like, I want to find a way for us to be able to grow the community and, and we need to find a way to get everybody at least more on the same page. And this is something I remember Mm -hmm. hearing you talk about. And I know that David and Lucas and other guests have talked about in their podcasts in the past as well as this industry is so scattered and broken. It's like everybody, one of them, somebody put it, I don't remember who it was, but it's like all the independent shops everywhere. It's like, everybody's got their own little kingdom and they run things like how they want to in their own little kingdom and to a small extent in certain ways, that's a great thing. You get to have your own place that you run how you want to handle your customers and things how you want to. But at the same time, I'm not, a, I'm not a fan of regulation at all, but at the same time, we also all need to get a lot more on the same page and become more professional and provide a little bit more of a consistent experience with, other customers because I, you know, I still almost every day get calls from people and hear horror stories about the experiences they had at one of the local shops here or there, wherever. And it's like, (sighs) like, I know the guy that they're having a bad experience with. He's not a bad guy. 
You know, mm-hmm. he handled mm-hmm. the situation poorly. There's miscommunications. Maybe he did yeah. something a way that he shouldn't have really done it, but he was trying to help. But, you know, it's just like we got to all get on the same page for how to do things. And I don't know what the answer is yet, but I want to find a way to try at least to spread the word, get more people involved, get more people paying attention. Because it's one thing even again, join the Facebook group. I've gotten several people or well, I've gotten a decent amount of people to at least get in the group, but like getting them to actually like pay attention or be active in it is a whole nother thing. How do you get people involved and how do we get everybody interested in trying to move things forward for the betterment of everybody? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot of difficult questions and things to figure yeah. out. And I don't think there's any one right answer to it. But yeah, I don't really, I don't have an answer yet. But these are definitely all things I think about and I consider. And I'm grateful to the people that have helped me. And I want to be able to help other people the same way if I can, you know. Eventually. Well, For well, now, I got to spend my energy worrying about my my young business. Still, that's where most of the focus has got to be. But but long term, I would like to find a way to help. Well, we'll get there for sure. And I I don't think it's and then wrapping this up. It's not it's not going to be. There's one magical solution. There isn't one magical answer, and it's not one magical podcast. It, it's going to be, you know, uh, I think when you say how do we keep people engaged. And get them engaged is we have to keep we have to keep them engaged. We have to keep asking them the questions, right? I, like it's just be friendly about it and say, so you know, how was your week? Just like how Lucas does it. How was your week? What was your little victories? What was your goals? What did you, you know, getting people comfortable being able to share and say, okay, okay, cool, you know, because it's not nobody is. This is the beauty of it. Nobody's trying to say you have to do it exactly like this or you're doing it wrong. There's none of that. You know what I mean? It's just, it's like, you know, we can liken it to the flat rate or the, or the not flat rate argument. You know, nobody is coming out here and saying to do it is wrong to do it is, you know, there's some people that are steadfast against it, but I mean, we have examples of people making it work and it, that's good for them. Right. So it's not a situation. We just have to keep having the conversations, keep engaging the people, keep saying, talk about your small victories, talk about your challenges, you know, and then, and then we're going to change it. I think there's no two ways about it. I think it, we have no choice. Like you said, it, we're, we're too many times when you make that example of that other shop, they're trying to help. And I think it's for too many years when we've been trying to help is where we've been shooting ourselves in the foot because it wasn't yeah. even really, we just dictated what we thought the customer really wanted and they didn't want that. And yeah. I think now that it's, getting open lines of communication and conversation from shop to shop, we can start to change that narrative. Okay. It's like, you're not helping them by doing it cheap. You're not helping them by not telling them what needs to be done. You're helping them by being as transparent and as professional as possible. And uh, I want to say, Jesse, that thank you for coming on, man. We'll have, we'll do this again for sure. I would love to. I want to check in with you every, you know, little bit and see how it's going. And, um, you know, we'll do this more than once for sure. Uh, because I think it's your story is going to resonate with a lot of people that are, that are new into, you know, just stepping off into that big step of their own business. And I mean, and I think it's, you're doing it the right way. And I mean, you're doing good work and, you know, in, 
that's what people need to hear is that, well, you know, it can be done. Else, yeah, it can be. It's not easy, but yeah. it can be. And if nothing else, even technicians listening, like you used to feel so jaded. And I felt like I didn't, I don't know. It's like, I felt like I didn't want to go to a dealer because I didn't like how they run things. I didn't want to go to another independent shop because I didn't know if I was going to end up somewhere where I wasn't going to make any money or if I was going to get be in a toxic environment. You know, just just letting other people know that there are shops and business owners out there that are trying to do it the right way. So even if it's not someone that wants to start a shop, just be aware, even as a technician, join groups like this and, and do what the best you can to look for shops like this to go work at. A lot of the problems we're talking about are going to solve themselves over over time just due to we're having trouble finding enough technicians. If all the technicians stop working at the crappy shops, <laughs> you know, and there are crappy exactly. technicians too, you know, but yep. the, the difficulty of modern auto repair and the complexity of it plus you know, they're being shortage of people like things are going to be forced to change a bit. And I just hope that people keep their minds open to don't get comfortable where you're at. Even if you're somewhere good, don't be comfortable yes. with where you're at. If you're comfortable, you're not growing, you know? Exactly. Well, I but, want to thank you, man. That's, that's an awesome way to end it. And um, I appreciate you coming well, on thank here. Thank you very and much for having me. I appreciate it. And sharing this with everybody. And we'll have you back again real soon. So. You take care, man. We'll talk to you. Thank you very much, Jeff. You're very welcome.